Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans, and welcome to the latest episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. I am not Carruthers, as if you couldn't tell. I am Bice. And uh, Carruthers is with me in, oh, I'm in, I'm in uh, central Ohio. He's in Southern California. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Good. It's, uh, they could probably tell it wasn't me because you sound so professional. You didn't no, cost, <laughs> you didn't drop an F-bomb or anything. So they're like, oh, that's not Paul. That's got to be Sean, the nice guy in Ohio. I had this weird thing happen when we were at Laguna last year. I don't know. I was talking to somebody and all of a sudden some random guy came up to me and said, hey, you're Sean Bice. I can re- I recognize your voice. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a terrible thing to be known for. So, um, But I don't know. That's whatever. funny. I don't know if I told you this, but one of our one of our volunteer guys, he, he was with us for like it's like the first two years. Apparently, he thought I was Doug Chandler. <laughs> Until finally, he like actually came and talked to me and, hey, Doug, how's it going? And I, I didn't want to be rude, so I kind of let it go. But then he started asking me stuff. And finally, I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm not Doug Chandler. And of course, he felt really bad. But um, yeah. I, 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 no surprise there, but nobody's ever mistaken me for a motorcycle racer. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have yeah. the same problem. At, at least my size, I guess they could... Uh, and and Doug and I are about the same age, but he's just a right. little more successful than I am and a little bit better motorcycle racer, I guess. Yeah. So hey, I wanna I wanna mention off the bat here, um we are we have Jensen Beeler on who today who has a website called uh, Asphalt and Rubber. He does podcasts and we get to see him when we go to our rounds sometimes for sure. He's usually at Laguna Seca and I usually get to have a conversation with him. You know, I read him his stuff. He's got a He's got a, a, a sense of humor and a bit of an acerbic wit, but um, I want to do a little preamble on this. But first of all, I want to say hi to Jensen. And before I kind of do this whole thing, hey, Jensen, how you doing? Hey, Sean, I'm good. How are you? Uh, am I on the right podcast? I was told Doug Chandler was going to be on this one. Is this, <laughs> did, I, did I call into the wrong one? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> I don't know, a, a podcast featuring Doug Chandler, he's a man of very few words. I don't know if you could get oh, man. a half an hour out of him. <laughs> I, honestly, you couldn't find two different people than me and Doug Chandler's as exactly. far as the, the talking or speaking part of uh, life. He's a, yeah. he's a he's a quiet, uh, deep thinker, I think, and I'm a loud non-thinker. Does that work? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's perfect. It's perfect. So, so anyway, I want to get into this one thing. I actually talked with Matthew Miles yesterday. Um, I had called him right after he had put a post on Facebook. So he was with, he's like like Paul. Paul was with Cycle News for 30 years. Um, uh, Matthew was with Cycle World for 29 years. Um, and it's kind of bugging me that he didn't, you know, get to 30, but that's I'm a whole I other kicked story. his ass in that. There you go. There you, you know, go. But, turns out, you know, he's just a wuss. He couldn't make it 30. And uh, people probably know, you know, Bonnier Corporation had bought that. It's changed hands a little bit. And, you know, Matthew's a great friend of, of ours, all three of ours, I think. Um, I, Jensen, you know Matthew well, too, right? Yes, very well. Yeah, I was uh, yeah. glad to see that he was leaving Cycle World. Yeah, it was a bummer. And then 
So, so anyway, when I was talking to Matthew yesterday, we kind of caught up on some things and, you know, he had, a, he had, he brought up a couple of things that made me, made me think a little bit now, not to get way back in the past, but I will say real quick, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a journalist and I quickly ended up kind of on a path towards being an advertising copywriter, which morphed into PR. And I think some of it has to do with, I generally don't like to do stories that um, are exposing some you know, bad side of something. I tend to be the type of person that always likes to kind of promote things. I mean, obviously you do that in copywriting, um, in advertising, you're trying to persuade people to purchase the product or service. And, and, you know, PR is the same way. A lot of it, there's, it's a little different in some ways, but it's all, it's certainly promoting the, the brand or whatever you're talking about. And so we had, Matthew and I had this conversation about the fact that he's saying the way things have evolved in in journalism in general, and certainly in journalism related to motorcycles is he, he talked about, you know, he'd get a press release and he would generally that he'd get in touch with uh, either somebody who was quoted in it or the PR person that sent it and try to set up an interview to try to get some more information about, you know, the subject matter of the press release. Cause most times press releases are not complete. They sort of just provide a tool for journalists to use that's changed a lot. Now I'll mention Road Racing World. They're sort of known. They'll when when we send them press releases for Moto America or when a team sends it to them, you know, David Swartz who works on that website, they post that stuff verbatim, even with warts and all sometimes. And it's just their their way of doing things. And uh, it, it's taken something that was really at one time only intended to be viewed by an editor and used to create a story, and it's now it's now being seen by the general public. So it changes the way I think some press releases are written. There's a little bit more, I guess, editorializing involved um, in that. And, you know, what I wanted to talk to Jensen, to you about it, and Paul as well. We're all journalists. Um, well, I'm not. I'm more PR, but uh, have a background in, in advertising, like I said. Um, Jensen, when you get a press release, and, and we, we know you run our stuff sometimes, your site, I want to ask you about your site, because it's certainly different than Road Racing World. I think that you take stuff that is created by or put in a press release and you do sort of repurpose it or write it and it seems like your stuff has there's there's a little bit of I, i'm going to say editorializing there's some sense of humor involved in it sometimes you know how does it work when you get a press release i, I want to kind of talk about how that's changed over the years uh, that's an interesting question sean it's like the uh the nerdiest topic about journalism that i could probably speak about for for hours it's a strange thing um <laughs> My, 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 back it up a little bit. My, my philosophy with asphalt and rubber is that, um, we are a, a lens that views the motorcycling world around us. Um, which I think is different than you bring up road racing world, yes. which I would say is more, uh, rooted in traditional journalist ideas of being, um, neutral regarding their stories or trying to, to alleviate any bias. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. We, we study bias very carefully and quite frankly, the concept of having no bias is, is a false concept. And so my perspective would be, I would rather show my bias or show my opinion flagrantly so that my reader who is an intelligent human being can see what my opinion is and see what my perspective is and decide if they agree with it or not. And that kind of trickles down into how we view press releases as 
I view a press release as the rose colored glasses of whoever is talking to me. Um, you know, when you write uh, a press release to me about Moto America, I assume that you're going to publish or print uh, the most favorable thing possible to Moto America. And that's that's your perspective. And, and it's my job as a journalist to distill what parts of that is correct and what part of that might be glossing over uh, the warts, as you said. So uh, our policy, whenever possible, is to not publish a press release in, in its raw form because I don't want to be a, a podium for you to put your spin out there. Now, sometimes a press release itself is the story, uh, and so it, it has to be included for context. Uh, I definitely will use quotes and, and information from a press release. Um, if there's something confusing or if I have a follow-up question, I'll call uh, the whoever published that press release and try and get some follow-up or some clarity. But usually uh, we're grounded more in what our writers and uh, what their opinion on the, on the issue is. And that's what kind of leads us forward. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul, regarding cycle news, I mean, with you, when you were there and even now, would you say that they're, they are a little more towards, uh, traditional moto journalism like road racing world is or do you think where, where are they at do you think well I can only really talk about when I was when I was running the ship over there so to speak um, what, what I ended up doing the press releases got to be the to the what, my my initial thing with press releases is look I want all of these rewritten you know um, take what's there I mean at 90% of the time you can rewrite somebody's press release better than what they wrote it because as we all know, some of them aren't very good, but right. it, it got to be the point where there was just so many that I'm like, okay, look, this is what we're doing. We're going to have a press release section over on the side of the, the homepage. Those are press releases. You know, um, company X has hired Billy Bob to be the marketing director. Okay. Though I'm not going to say they're, they're not important, but they're not as, as important as the ones that we would choose and say, okay, this is actually a, this is this has the potential to be a news story, so let's rewrite that as we would a news story. If we need to make calls to get some more questions answered, then so be it. But let's let's use those as the basis of a story. So we would have our homepage, and the stories that were on that homepage would be stories that sometimes started as press releases that we've rewritten, or else they're just uh, they were features or interviews or news stories that we came up with from scratch on our own. But then off to the side, we would have the press release section that I would basically say, and I, we do the same thing on MotoAmerica.com now, is um, you know the, the following is from Suzuki. And, and mm -hmm. it, it kind of, I think that lets the reader know like, hey, this, this is a press release from Suzuki. So, you know, take it for, for, for what it's worth. Um, whereas the other stories on the homepage, I would like them to believe that like, okay, these guys have done a little more digging. They've rewritten it in a nicer way. And it's more of a news story than the other one. So that, that's kind of the policy I had with it at Cycle News. And it seemed to work pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, now, <clears throat> now I'm on the other side of the fence and I'm writing the press releases. And I'm writing press releases from everything that's, uh, you know, we've hired somebody in the marketing department or whatever. And I use the word department loosely because we would only have one guy in that. So I'm not sure that would make a department. But um, so, uh, so with that, 
like when I sit down and, and you know, you're, you're, you're next to me right there on a, on a Saturday or Sunday night at our events. When I sit down and write a press yep. release that goes out to, uh, to mostly motorcycle media, I, I try to write those like I would basically write my race reports that I used to do for cycle news. Um, I try to make them so I, when I write those press releases, I try to make it so that the guy who's using it can actually use it the way that, he, that he, the, the easiest way for him to do it. And that means providing as much information in there as I can, writing it well enough that he could cut and paste if that's what he chooses to do. Or, you know, he could use that as the basis for his story, depending on how much rewriting he wants to do. And I actually take pride in the fact of like when I see a cycle news and they haven't really messed with it too much, I'm like, okay, I did a pretty good job there. Um, but that comes from right. years and years and years of racing, writing those race reports. I mean, I could do them in my sleep. So I try to just do the job that I used to do with those press releases now. So like I said, if it makes it easier for a publication or a website to use your press release, then they're going to. Um, some places, if, a th if something comes across their desk and it requires a lot of work, maybe they don't have enough time and so they don't use it at all. So my goal is for them to use the information that we provide. Yeah. And I mean, I know we, we, so we get press releases from the teams, uh, and we, you know, it's no surprise probably that, that some of them, you know, aren't, some need a little bit of work, some help. And I think we're a little different from certainly road racing world, but not quite like like asphalt and rubber. What we do is we'll take the release and we'll just make sure that it doesn't have any, you know, uh, glaring grammatical things, misspellings or things that don't make sense. But for the most part, we try to stay true to what the team provided. But we, we're a different situation. We're not we're not as much a news outlet as we are promoting our series. So we have we have one specific goal in mind, and it's to put our teams and riders in the best light possible. So with that in mind, here's my next question for Jensen. And Jensen, this kind of goes to you, you, how you handle things on your website and you're sort of a, you have a lens that you use with the stuff that you produce. So here's, here's the, the $64,000 question or whatever it would be now that it's been adjusted for inflation. <laughs> um, so regarding, regarding journalism and regarding our industry, we know what's going on in our motorcycle industry. We know, you know, it's, it's, it's had its, problems and it's you know seems to be coming back a little bit but maybe not so much at times and we worry about it every day because i think we all rely on it for our livelihoods as well as our passion so jensen what i want to ask you is with your website your podcast or what you write do you feel in any way that you um are ha have a part or or have to prop up the series or speak about them in a positive light um, because you're in it, so you don't want to speak badly of something that kind of puts food on your table, so to speak. Um, wh where do you, where do you land on that? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I came to this as, uh, as a consumer, as an enthusiast, as a, as a motorcyclist. And, you know, it's funny you said, you know, that I'm a part of it because sometimes I feel like I'm still on the outside and that I think kind of helps balance the uh, the idea that you could be taking food off of your own table. Um, but I, I mean, I very much have uh, that, that David Attenborough sort of perspective of, you know, I, I just approach it from the idea that, you know, good or bad, I just want to, I just want to tell it how it is. I just want to be as honest as I can. Uh, I want to say exactly what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling about a, a certain subject. And if that's, you know, not good for the industry as a whole or not good for a particular brand. Um, 
so be it. I look at that as a, as a short-term issue. I think in the long term, we're better off as an industry if we have honest and accurate and truthful journalism. Um, you can't sit mm-hmm. there and, and expect to only have positive stories. If bike, bike reviews would be a great example. If I only said every bike I rode was the best bike I'd ever ridden, it almost dilutes the work that the manufacturers have put into that motorcycle to make it you know, as good as it can be. Uh, you want to be evaluated fairly. You want to be evaluated on the same scorecard as your peers. You want to know that the news that you're reading isn't just all sunshine and rainbows because, um, you know, we can see it in, in, in current events, even when, when negative things are downplayed, the detriment that that can do to the society. And I think of it the same way with the motorcycle industry. So I think you have to talk about the bad, uh, to make sure that, or you have to talk about the bad in order to give weight for when things are good. Uh, I feel like that's that's my number one job as a journalist is to call it the way I see it because of that reason. Yeah, and I I agree. I agree with Jensen on this because obviously I used to do the same thing. You would test motorcycles and and honestly, I mean, when I when I first started, the job was easier because the motorcycles weren't as good, if that makes sense. Um, you get to the point where the motorcycles mm-hmm. are so good. And, and you find yourself like looking, you know, like, okay, what, there's gotta be, there's some, there's gotta be something wrong here. And usually there is. And, and the thing I think you, you gain, you gain respect from not only your readership, but also the manufacturers when you point things out that aren't right, because they know if you, if you say bike A doesn't have very good brakes. I guarantee the manufacturer who who produced bike A knows the brakes aren't very good. They've tested the other bikes that it's being compared against. They've obviously tested their own bike and they know that there's a deficiency with their brakes. So if you don't if if you gloss over that or if you don't call them out for the fact that their brakes aren't very good, they know it and 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 what kind of respect do they have for you because they know that when you're ta- talking about a competitive brand you're probably doing the same with them and not pointing out what's actually wrong with it. So it's like you can get caught up in that web and it's just, you know, I think what my, my philosophy with, with the whole thing when I was at Cycle News is, was just to treat things fairly. And that means if things are bad, you tell it it's, that they're bad. If things are good, you say that they're good. And I think if you follow that line and you don't have an ax to grind and you have no favors uh, with, with one particular brand over another, I mean, how can anybody find fault with that? Paul, do you feel like that standard is is still the same today as it was when you were at Cycle News? That with with, with the, in regards to how the manufacturers uh, appreciate, let's say, uh, honest feedback. I don't know because I'm removed from it at this point, but I would hope that they're the same. Um, I don't know if the if if the 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 changing of the guard with the PR people that are involved or whatever have kind of. I don't want to say dumb that down where they maybe they don't have the same respect for somebody pointing out the bad things or if they even know that the bad things are bad. So I, I can't really I can't really speak to that. But my hope is that is that, you know, the things are the same. But again, I, I, I'm just a little bit removed from it. So I, I don't really know. You know, Jensen, you and I have had the conversation. I'm not going to name any names, but um, over the over the past few years, we've had conversations before about situations where, you know, every OEM probably thinks that every one of their products is fantastic. And they expect that when a uh, website or magazine 
um, does a review that they're going to speak uh, in platitudes about that that product without compromise. And you don't do that, Jensen. And I think some OEMs aren't sometimes aren't very happy about that. But to to Paul's point, it's not fair because they probably can admit. And I'll give you a quick little story. I, I rode a bike. I'm not going to say what it was. I rode a bike, a re- recent model motorcycle a couple of years ago, and it was really stupid. I, I would come to a stop, like put my feet down, and the foot pegs were in the wrong position. They would always like either bark my shins, and you couldn't put your feet in front of them or behind them. It was the worst placement of foot pegs ever. And I thought to myself, my entire career has been about advertising, copywriting, and PR, putting a positive spin on something. And I, if I had to write the brochure for that thing, I I would have had to co- you know conveniently ignore it and feel bad about doing it because that to me was a huge design flaw in that, that motorcycle. And if I was d- doing a uh, review on it, I would have absolutely called it out because it was almost unrideable because of that. And to your point, or to the point I want to make to you, Jensen, you've had these kinds of things happen before, right? Yeah, you know, I kind of asked Paul a loaded question just because, in my experience, yeah, I, I don't think the the manufacturers right now are, and that's a, I understand I'm making a very large blanket statement. I think there's there's different actors and different manufacturers, and they treat it differently. But I would say in general, the motorcycle manufacturers aren't terribly interested in let's say uh, constructive feedback. Um, and and their response can can differ. Uh, you know, sometimes I get a phone call and they'll say, "Hey, I disagree with X, Y, and Z. Let's talk about it." And you know, you kind of list your reasons, and maybe there's some back and forth. And um, you know, I'll be honest: if a main manufacturer makes a really good case about why I was wrong, I'll, I'll admit I, I was wrong. But um, that doesn't seem to happen too often. Um, but there's been other times where there's been glaring issues with a motorcycle. I actually think of two instances off the top of my head where you mention something that is wrong with a motorcycle, you publish it and the PR guy goes, you know, down your throat about it and they want you to retract the story or change the story. And you're sitting there and you go like, no, this, this is definitely doing this. This is definitely an issue. You're going to have a recall or, or, or worse, you know, X number of months down the road with this, like you guys need to get on it. And you go and you talk to an engineer, uh, you know, a couple of days later and they go, oh yeah, we've known about that issue for a few you know, weeks or months now. That's <laughs> something we're working on. And you sit there and it's like, well, then why are you getting on my case about it if it's, if it's known internally? Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, especially if you're in PR, your marketing, like your, your desk, your table is all about putting the best light forward on your product. And your job is to be an advocate for uh, your motorcycles or, or your helmet or your gloves or whatever it is that you're responsible for. And, you know, I don't know how all the companies work, but there's probably some sort of incentivization to that, or at least there's someone overseeing them that's saying like, Hey, why is Jensen writing that story? Or why is Paul writing that story? Why aren't they on board with us? But I think it's gone too far. We've lost our way a little bit because it does seem that the expectation is that the journalist isn't there to give a, uh, a fair and unbiased review of the product. It, to me, often feels like the journalist is at the press launch to act as our outsourced marketing department. And, you know, to that vein, we're starting to see that social media influencers are starting to get put into the mix uh, with journalists at press launches. And, you know, that, that to me just is, it's, it shows that OEM's mindset to a T because that social media influencer is literally an employee of that company. So you're having an employee evaluate 
the motorcycle and then publishing it on some third party website uh, or you know social media channel to to espouse its its virtues. Um, you know, I don't. That's that's really the tough one for me to see and to see that expectation change because I don't. Uh, at least in my experience, I can't speak for everyone, but you know, in my experience, I don't feel that uh, motorcycle manufacturers and and some of the uh, other OEMs uh, particularly care for or want uh, true journalistic uh, inquiries into their their products or or dealings, mm-hmm. and that's sad. I think mm-hmm. that's really sad. Yeah, and it right, it's very sad, and the. I just know, I mean, the, the, the way I looked at it when I was at Cycle News and to a gr- degree even with this job now is if you were getting the opportunity to go ride a motorcycle uh, for a company for, at a press intro, for example, I always figured my job was to, I was going to be able to ride this motorcycle before anybody else was going to be able to ride, ride that motorcycle. And I'm speaking about the consumers and our readers, et cetera. So I thought my job was to tell them, give them as much information and my feelings on what this new motorcycle was like. And then at some point, hopefully, if they were going to purchase that motorcycle, they would get the opportunity to, to learn more, to ride it themselves or whatever. But we, you'd also have to realize that, that it, you can't just go. We have an opportunity to ride a bunch of different motorcycles and have a lot of different input and 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 make decisions about those motorcycles based on the amount of motorcycles that we've actually got to ride where the other average consumer may not get to do that. So I think if you just go into it and you just, you just presenting the information and the feeling you got from riding that motorcycle, you might only get to ride the thing for two days. Maybe you, you, they rush you to the racetrack and you ride it for a day and then you ride it around some country roads in some foreign country that you're not even, you know, half the time you're just trying to survive. Um, and you've got to evaluate that motorcycle in, in a very short time. So I think you can only do what you can do, and that's to provide them a fair review based on the amount of time that you got to spend on it. And the watercraft industry taught me a lot when we did the uh, <clears throat> when we did Personal Watercraft Illustrated because they blatantly would cheat. Like we would do shootouts, and you know the the watercraft would be you know, two or three miles an hour faster than, than the stock one. And, and, and with a, with a watercraft, the average guy who buys one can actually ride it to the limit. The average guy who buys an R1 can't ride it to the limit. Right. So when you're presenting information about a craft, a watercraft that they can, they have radar guns themselves and they're like, Oh, how come yours goes 45 miles an hour and ours only goes 40? Well, right then you look like a fool. So we got to the point with the shootouts that we actually got letters from each manufacturer and we would go to a random dealership and pick up a stock watercraft off their showroom floor because that was the only way we could, we could keep control of, of what was going on with the shootouts. But I mean, that was a different animal just because, like I said, the, the average guy know, knew what that craft was capable of because he owned one and could ride it to the max where... That doesn't happen on a motorcycle. I mean, there's very few people that can put those motorcycles the way they are today, especially a sport bike, and ride it the way that it, you know, that it's able to be ridden. Anyway, that's just a, a little side note there. But I mean, it's it's you know, and I'm sure I'm sure uh, Jensen hears this all the time about what a dream job he has, and he gets to go ride all these motorcycles. He gets to go to great places to ride them, et cetera, et cetera. And that's by far true. I mean, there's, there's so much stuff I miss about my old job. And one of them is being able to do that. 
But on the other side, you know, you do have to sit down and you do have a big responsibility to write a story that you believe is fair and well done. And that's where the, the work comes into play. So it's not all fun. It's a, it's a charmed life, but uh, it, yeah, I think you're right, Paul. It's, um, it's not as glamorous as it would look sometimes. I, I, I can distinctly remember a press launch. And what you, you glossed over too is a lot of these press launches are overseas. Um, you know, a lot of the press launches are in Spain or Italy, you know, especially in the, the winter months where it's uh, still warm. And I can remember a press launch in France where I was only boots on the ground in France for 22 hours. I spent almost twice as much time in the air as I did on the ground and literally arrived. And uh, within a few hours, it was expected to be on a motorcycle at a racetrack, do the, the sessions, you know have a quick bite to eat and then back on the plane in uh, three o'clock in the morning. And uh, that's, that's a very tough thing to ask someone to do, to, to travel for that long, to be that jet lagged, to do the time change and then go ride a motorcycle at, you know, race, uh, racetrack speed. Uh, and then, and then, you know, have to evaluate it and pick it all apart and explain what you felt and what you saw in an intelligible way to someone else, which isn't exactly an easy thing to do either. And then, and then hopefully, uh, you know, not get any pushback from the manufacturer on, on your opinions and, and hopefully have written a good story that your readers enjoy. Uh, it's, uh, not as easy as it would seem. And, um, it, it kind of takes the glamor from being in the South of Spain or, uh, along the Mediterranean coast or in Africa or wherever that launch might be. Right. So, so here's a question I have for you. Actually, the one other thing I was going to say about that is when Paul mentioned about going to kind of a random dealership and picking picking up a unit or whatever to test. Uh, it's funny, Jensen. So just yesterday, you had posted that story about motorcycle consumer news, which mm -hmm. I have stacks of those in my garage still and relied on their information. And I don't know. I think they used to do that when they would get their bikes, didn't they? Would they or would they get them from... The OEMs like the rest of journalists would do. My, under you know? my understanding was that they got the bikes from the OEMs, but I can't speak to their whole history. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still relatively okay. young compared to some people on this podcast. Um, hey. But <laughs> uh, that, that is my understanding. I, I could certainly be wrong and, and correct me if I am. But uh, I would say out of all the publications, Motorcycle Consumer News probably had the most... Um, conflict-free method of, of testing motorcycles and, and you know i'm very envious of that yeah yeah i mean and you're right when you said um they're kind of the consumer reports of motor the motorcycle industry i always felt that they were that way too um okay so here's another thing i want to talk to you about um i want to switch gears on some stuff a little bit because a couple things so um i know we i think we can all agree that when a company or team, brand, OEM, whatever, puts out a press release, generally it's lacking a whole lot of information that you'll either try to get later by testing the bike or trying to find out. And this brings up the fact that when I talked to Matthew Miles yesterday, he said it doesn't seem like a lot of people are following up, you know, to try to get answers to their questions. And I want to bring up this, this baggers situation that we had, because when that press release came out, I think we're all chuckling. We all probably reacted the same way. We're like, what the hell is this? And we all were, you know, even Paul and I internally were laughing about it a little bit. But, you know, we know what we're trying to do in Moto America. And there are a ton of questions about it. It was 
you know, fans don't know what's going on with it. And it brought up, of course, Jensen, you know, the diff, you, you know, not only you have a, a, a podcast and a, and a website, but like all of us, you have a social media channel too. So you would post to this crazy 10, yeah. 10 things that you want to see happen. <laughs> I got a list of demands. <laughs> I want to see some changes or, or some ideas incorporated into this. I, I know you guys are still in the planning stages. So, uh, you know, pick and choose from those as you will. Which I know for sure. Clearly, your tongue is firmly pl placed in your cheek on a lot of this stuff. But my point is, there are a lot of things that we don't know about it yet. So my my question to you: Do you think your your people, your followers, understood that you were trying to be funny with that? Did you have an axe to grind, or were you just having some fun? Tell me where that was coming well, from. Well, first, let's get. One thing very clear, I am dead serious about the pie eating contest. I think that needs to happen. I think that should be incorporated. You can get some sort of tie in with Sarah Lee or one of those other brands. It's perfect sponsorship opportunity. Uh, just take that and run with it. Um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't think I have the best sense of humor, but I think I'm funny, so I guess it works out. But that was, yeah, that's that's a little bit of Jensen humor on 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 Twitter and and in the comment section. But the 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 feeling is is true. The feeling is accurate, and the feeling is real because you know I, I mean, if I can be really frank with you guys, like what the heck are you doing with this thing? Uh, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what the thought process is at, at Moto America with it. I, I mean, I have a little bit of an understanding of what goes on behind the scenes. I understand, you know, parts unlimited's uh, interest in having something like this. I know this has been in the works for, or is talking for a little while now. Um, you know, I can kind of, as a, as a business person, look at it like, okay, well, you know, uh, Harley Davidson's about uh, half the size of the big bike market. And, uh, you know, they're our domestic supplier and we have Indian now. And uh, how are we going to reach these these riders and the aftermarket side of that's obviously all very big as well. And how can we get them involved? And, you know, like you can kind of turn the gears and, and back in uh, something that sounds like a good idea, but like the smell test on this for me is just horrible. So other than just like <laughs> screaming up and down and having like a little internet tantrum, the only way I can, I can process this information is through humor and, and, and through a list of uh, demands like a pie eating contest. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Paul. Do you want to do you want to see feel that a little bit in terms of yeah, what we're, we're trying to? Do? Yeah, we can discuss this a little bit as as both of you and and whoever's listening um, knows. We're not MotoGP. Um, we can't. It's not enough for us. We'll never have a hundred thousand people at our races, but they can have a hundred thousand people at any of their events show up with pouring rain or bright sunshine they know the crowd they're going to get and they get it consistently they've been doing it for a long time their series is immensely popular worldwide um we're not there yet and our our goals are obviously not as lofty as as being moto gp because in this country that's just not going to happen so what we do have is we have five really serious good classes of motorcycle road racing at our events it's proven at this point in time that's not necessarily enough to grow our series i don't want to say it's a case of sometimes you have to do something that you don't necessarily want to do in order to be able to continue doing what you really want to do 
um, because that's not really fair because it makes it sound like we, we, we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that. We're actually, that's just not the case. But I, th I think you can get kind of get my feeling behind that. We, we want to race super bikes. Um, we want to race those other classes, but having something like that's different and having something like a bagger class, what harm can it do if we get some more people that perhaps come to our event because they want to see something a little bit different and then we can move those people to being Moto America fans because maybe the baggers got them in the gate and now they're exposed to what Moto America really is and they like it enough that they become Moto America fans. I mean, that's, that would be the ultimate goal for us is to convert some of those people into being Moto America fans because frankly, we need more Moto America fans. I mean, it's, right. it, it, we have plenty of room for growth and we're trying to come up and, and I think you just have to realize like this is an, it's an invitational, um, you know, drag specialties is behind it. They're going to come they're, they're, they're I think they're builders in their com in their various companies that produce these type of motorcycles or not produce the motorcycles themselves, but actually do the work to make them a little tricker. I mean, we're not going to have a bunch of jalopies there and they're going to be well built. They're going to have, they, they have trick suspension parts. They have, you know, they, they have, they're put together well. And I think they're going to have some guys, I think we're going to see like the carry hearts of the world that are going to come and they're going to enjoy that. I think it's just, if we don't take it so seriously and realize it's not replaced, if, you know, if I, if, if I issued a press release that said, Hey, we're getting rid of the twins cup or we're getting rid of the junior cup because we're going to replace it with, with, uh, with a bagger cup okay i can understand that well not the, the hardcore moto moto america enthusiast can go to laguna seca and he's going to see exactly what he wants to see if he wants to stick around because he thinks it's going to be kind of fun to watch these baggers race in one race then what harm is that i think i think sometimes and i don't want to say that we take ourselves too seriously because what we do motorcycle racing is serious and there's no you, you're not going to find a road racing purist more so than myself. I mean, you guys know my background. I've grown up with this my entire life and I, it's a serious thing to me. I take the rider safety serious. I take every single part of it serious. And honestly, it's motorcycle road racing and motorcycle racing in general is just, it's my passion. So, mm -hmm. but I also remember like as a kid, like you, I, when we first came here, it coincided kind of with, with, the first release of on any Sunday and you go to watch on any Sunday. And I think it, it drove so many people to motorcycling because it was just, it just showed fun and there was funny stuff in there. Sure. They had the serious parts, you know, there was Mert Lowell trying to win an AMA grand national championship. It showed, you know, these guys get injured doing this, but it also just showed the fun of motorcycling and it made you just want to go buy a motorcycle. Now I know it's a bit of a reach to say that, you know, this baggers class is that, but I think it's the beginning of, of, of adding some things to our existing events that just make them a bit of fun. And I, I honestly, I, it, and I'm talking to Jensen and I'm talking to you, Sean, I guarantee when those guys are at Laguna Seca and they go out on the track, you're going to run to find a piece of fence to stand behind to watch them. And you might have a giggle, you might have a giggle, you might have a laugh, you might think it's really cool. And I, I just don't, 
I just think that's a that's a pretty good thing, and I and I and I'm not opposed to us trying some things like that to try to grow our our fan base. You know, it's it's funny because um, I just before Jensen responds, I want to just add one other little thing. You know, with flat track, I mean, what was it a few years ago? They would they would put these bikes out on flat track. They'd turn left and they couldn't. You know, they'd be high side and going crazy. Well, that evolved into the hooligan class, which is become a legitimate racing class and we're going to have hooligans racing at Indy. But I mean, it sort of came out of a sort a kind of a novelty and turned into that. I'm not saying this baggers is going to do that, but it's just, it's interesting to kind of look at different sides of the, of our passion of motorcycles or our sport. Many cups the same way. I mean, we're going to attract people that are going to be coming for that and maybe, you know, get more involved in seeing what else is going on in Moto America. But you know, they like these ovales or, like to see kids doing this kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It's, it's not a, I, I don't think it's a PT Barnum carnival thing quite like maybe Jensen, you're thinking, I think there is some novelty involved in it, but <laughs> I think it's going to be kind of, I mean, I'm going to, I can't wait. And I, I'm biased, obviously. So the thing is you usually go to Laguna Seca. You're going to, are you going to watch that event? Jensen. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I feel like at this point I have a, like a, a responsibility as a journalist to go witness this event because my, my readers and my <laughs> listeners are going to expect uh, to know what happened or, or my opinion on, on how it uh, was executed. Um, you know, you bring up Barnum and Bailey, like that's, that's how I think about it though. Like I, I sit there and I, I, and I like kind of rhetorically ask Paul, like what's, what's next? Is you, are you going to have the clown car? Or, you know, or a bunch of clown, like, you know, stop a little like Volkswagen bus at the top of the corkscrew and we'll see how many clowns pop out of it. And then that'll be the, the, the spectacle for the fans to watch. Or, you know, if you really want to get more people through the gate, why don't we just put a bunch of stripper poles along the, the racetrack and, and see how many guys come through the gates to watch that? Like, where do you want to draw the lines on, on, you know, indoctrinating non-motorcycle racing fans into, you know, Moto America and road racing? Um, we can go down that slippery slope if we want, but I think, you know, to make a distinction on what you said, Sean, about the hooligan class and the, uh, the ovales, you know, the, the hooligan class, at least those were enthusiasts. Those were fans with motorcycles who were racing with the intent to race. And it was, it, it was what it was, you know, it, you don't expect, um, non-professionals to, to rise to a certain level, um, with the mini cup racing, we're looking at the, the future, hopefully the future moto or, or road racing champions, you know, uh, while they're still young and we can see, watch their careers as they develop, um, you know, it serves a purpose and, and the purpose there is still to watch them compete on the racetrack. My issue with the, the bagger classes, it doesn't seem like that's really the case. I, you know, I think the racing could be interesting. Um, there's always the, the talk about you know, riding a slow bike fast is probably the most fun you can have on a motorcycle. But it, it feels really like disingenuous to say, like, well, you know, what harm is there? Because I, I do feel like there is a harm because Moto America is the premier motorcycle racing class in the United States. It is the professional road racing series. It stands above all the amateur series. It stands above all the other classes in you know the United States where we have sport bikes competing. And I feel like you just diluted that brand with this class. Um, 
you know, you say like, we'll never be MotoGP. Well, one, I think if you don't have that attitude, you never will. But two, why, why, why shouldn't Moto America be held to the same standard as MotoGP? They're both professional series. They're both the top in their respective areas. Uh, I, I look at it almost from a branding perspective of, of you guys abandoning that position and, and, you know, myself and I'm sure others that grew up with AMA pro road racing and, and now Moto America, you know, that's their perspective of the series. This isn't uh rolling sands and super hooligans and having a good time while we're chugging beers, um, you know, for a laugh, you know, and I was just at one of their events here in Portland and, and it is having a, a different vibe than say uh, American flat track, but it's, it's because American Flat Track is the professional series that we can have a super hooligan class. The issue would be if American Flat Track all of a sudden decided that we're not going to be the professional flat tracking series anymore. We're going to be the the fun clown car series. That's where we have the issue. And that's that's the same thing that I have here with Moto America. And that's why I, why I push back on this because I feel like you guys are giving up the the, the professionalism, quite frankly. You know, I don't I don't think that's what it's going to be, though. I don't I don't think it's supposed to be a clown car class necessarily. I'm not really honestly completely sure what it is supposed to be. I think I need to find Sean, out. Sean, how can it how can it not be but a clown car class? You're say, talking about 800, 900 pound motorcycles with, well, with bags on them that have, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're going to put good suspension. You're going to probably lift them up a little bit, but it's still like a completely inappropriate motorcycle to put on a racetrack. So how can it not be? exactly what it is you know a motorcycle not intended for racing being well, raced let me, let, me well, let me let me bring this up paul and i are old enough to remember um when twin sports uh the harley bikes were started out and i mean there were guys like nigel gale they were good riders i mean eric bostrom aaron yates ben bostrom but when they that class first started i i've never talked to Paul about this. I'd like to get his opinion. But as a fan, I remember when that first came out, I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? You're going to put Sportsters on a road racing course? And I know they adapted him for, you know, racing, which I think the baggers are going to do too. But was, Paul, do you recall, was was that Twin Sports sort of met with the same jaundiced eye in the beginning a little bit? Oh, I can tell you I was 100% Jensen back in those days. And I made I made fun of Harley Davidson 883 racing probably more than anybody. Um, I thought it was a stupid idea. Uh, I I I had no time for it. And but you know what? It it I I still don't necessarily think it was a great class. But you know what? It had good racing, and it ended up it it made it. I'm not saying it, it, there's no way that a guy is going from bagger racing to any of our other classes. The, let me get that out on the table now. That's not going to yeah. happen. With the Harley class, that actually did happen. I mean, the Bostroms raced in that. Um, yeah. There was a lot of guys, Aaron Yates raced in it. There was a lot of guys that actually used that because it was a cheap form of racing and they could get a Harley Davidson dealer or whatever to sponsor them and they could use that to, to further their career and, and, and move on to the other classes. So no, I was I was hundred percent against that because um, I just didn't see the benefit in it, um, and I I grew my my feelings about it changed uh, over time, and I began to accept it. Now this the the bagger thing, let's not get carried away with ourselves and think that this is going to turn into a series 
within Moto America. That that's not going to happen. And you know, maybe in two years I'll have to come back on here and apologize for saying that. But <laughs> it, it's not. It, it's an invitational attempt to show these bikes and to let these guys race them and to really show. I think. I think these bikes will be a popular thing in the portion of the paddock that we have them as far as people that are interested in those sort of motorcycles going and looking at some that are extremely well built and well done. Um, it, you know, I, it's, it's different for me now because I've been on the other side of the fence. And when I'm on, when I was on the other side of the fence, it was easy for me to be critical and make fun at, um, the people who were trying to do what we're trying to do now. And now I'm in that position of trying to help build this thing from where it was and where it was, wasn't a very good place. Um, so it's hard, you know, it's hard not to take things personally when you read what Jensen writes and, you know, I probably didn't laugh at all because I, I know what we're trying to do. And, and it's hard to, to look at something like that and go, you know, it's probably, it's, it's the same feeling a manufacturer gets when you write that their brakes suck. I mean, that guy takes it personally because he knows the guy that built the brakes or he knows the engineer in Japan or what have you. There's some personal stuff that goes on there. So I'm, I'm a little bit the same with, with Moto America, obviously. So, but it just, it's, I mean, I, I think thinking of it as, you know, stripper poles and clowns is a bit excessive. Um, I think if we just look at it for what it is, if it turns into something that's just horrible, then it won't happen again. But I think it's just one of those things that's like nothing ventured, nothing gained. And it's very difficult to get people to come to motorcycle races um, for the pure sport of superbike and all those other classes that the three of us love and think are the greatest things in the world. Um, a lot of the times it's, it, I, we feel like if we can just get them there so that they can experience that part of it, then I, I, I've never heard anybody, I've never talked to anybody that's gone to a Moto America race for the first time and didn't actually think it was a cool event and that the racing was great. But it's the challenges to get them there for the first time. And whether that's a friend bringing them or rather, whether it's something that they read about in their bagger magazine, if there is such a thing, I'm sure there is. Um, that, that entices them to maybe go to Laguna Seca and have a look at this. And, and, and if we can convert those into, into uh, Mono America fans, then I think it's a good thing. Um, but I, I understand where Jensen comes from, because as I said, I've been on that side of the fence and I've had the same feelings about other things that he's having about the, uh, the baggers thing. So, I mean, it, you know, I'm not mad about it by any means. I, I, cause I totally understand it. Cause I've been there. Paul, I got a question for you. Uh oh, yeah. the so the <laughs> I'm in charge of the damn questions. <laughs> the tables have turned. Yeah, this is, what, this is what happens when you have a guy who has his own podcast right. on our podcast. <laughs> but you know, you talk about the the people that are going to line up on the on the fence, and I and I I 100 agree with you. I think those that we're going to be vying for space, elbows to elbows, to especially around the corkscrew to see this happen. But do you think those people are going to be there because? of the racing and the competition that's occurring on the racetrack, or do you think they're going to be there because of the spectacle uh, and the prospect of seeing, you know, uh, an 800 pound motorcycle wind up in the dirt? I would say B. Yeah, that's my issue. Um, but you know what? There's like, 
I will, I will go to Costa Mesa Speedway is an amazing show. I don't know if you've ever been to it. Um, and it's held through the summer. And I, I, I think, think, think it's on Saturday nights now, maybe Friday nights, but it, it, I think it changes back and forth. Sometimes it's Friday night, sometimes it's Saturday night, but it's weekly. And the speedway racing is great by itself, but they have, they have, uh, they might even have it more than once now, but they used to have, or they still have a Harley Davidson night where these guys, you, you, they get to race on the speedway track on the bike, but they have to show that they actually rode the bike to the race. And obviously it has to be Harley Davidson and it's a bit of a spectacle. I mean, there's guys, you can imagine they're just crashing their brains out, but the people go crazy for it and they like it and it's a sideshow to what is already a good show now those people love the speedway part of it too but that's a little extra special thing that they do on the side and maybe that brings some people in there that haven't been to speedway before i see your point i mean don't get me wrong i i understand that that there's going to be people wanting to watch that because they're going to think something you know bad's going to happen um that's just human nature uh, it's why everybody, it's why there's traffic around here because when you cat, when you pass a crash on the freeway, people slow down because they got to see if there's, you know, what blood and bodies they can see. But I don't, I, right. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a difficult thing. Um, and again, I see Jensen's point, but I think if we just take a step back and not take it so seriously and realize, take it for what it is. And it's not a Moto America class. It's this one-off thing that we want to try. We think it'll be cool. We think people will have fun with it and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. All right, Paul, I'll throw, you, I'll throw you a bone on this one. Thanks. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. The, the, the core purpose of motorcycles is to have fun. Uh, the reason I, I do this job and I'm sure the reason you guys got into it is because you find enjoyment in riding motorcycles and being in the motorcycle community. And the whole purpose of this whole thing is to have fun. And the day that motorcycle stops being fun for me is probably the day I sell all the bikes or the day that, you know, doing the asphalt and rubber and the podcast starts tainting motorcycles in a way that makes it no longer fun for me. That'll be the day that I, that I close those down and, and get back to just pure riding because I, I'm a firm, firm believer that motorcycles should be fun and it's about enjoyment and it's about living your life because we're only here for a short period of time and, and motorcycles is a great way to do that. So I'm right there with you in the sense that the racing should be fun. The racing experience should be fun and, and all that jazz. Um, you know, and Sean, you, you, you brought up earlier in the podcast about this responsibility or do I feel a responsibility as a journalist to uh, advocate the motorcycle industry and, and what goes on in it? Um, to loosely paraphrase your words. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's right. You know, I don't feel like, uh, I need to be, um, the cheerleader for the motorcycle industry, but there is a part of me that is always going to be that enthusiast that believes that motorcycles should be fun. Um, so, you know, I, I do see the perspective of, Here's something to to be the intermission to these serious races for these professionals that can be a distraction that can get us back to uh, what that core thing in motorcycling is in, in terms of enjoyment, in terms of having a good time with your friends. And I get it. Um, my biggest issue, though, is just it's on a larger scale of like what is what is 
best for Moto America in the long run? What is best for motorcycle racing in the long run? What is best for the motorcycle industry in the long run? And we're at a really interesting time. We're at a really interesting crossroads for all of those things. Um, you know, we, we, we talked earlier about, you know, motorcycle consumer news closing. You know, there is a huge shift in motorcycle journalism in terms of publications that are still in business and, and how those publications that are in business still operate and the independence and the voices that they have. There's a huge shift in, in the buying uh, tendencies and trends of the consumers. There's a huge shift in what manufacturers are doing in terms of the products that they're bringing to, to market. Uh, you know, you look at transportation just in, in the larger scale of things for the next 20, 30 years. Like, I don't have any kids right now, so I, I could probably make the, the argument that when I have children, I might not have to teach them how to drive a car because transportation will have changed so greatly that we don't drive cars ourselves anymore. Um, and how does that affect motorcycles going down the line? So there's this huge shift. And like, there's a part of me that as someone that is a stakeholder in this industry and who is also a stakeholder as an enthusiast and a consumer of protecting this thing that we love so dearly. And that's where I think I come at the, the bagger uh, racing because I just, I just don't want to see Moto America do anything that's going to hurt the Moto America brand. I want Moto America to be around. I want uh, motorcycle racing in the U.S. to thrive. I want the motorcycle industry to do well because I love motorcycles and I love motorcycle racing and I love professional motorcycle racing in the United States. But sometimes it doesn't feel like we're making the best decisions for that. And I think, you know, the previous administration before Moto America was a great example of, you know, every decision they made, I could sit there and be like, that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing in that situation. And that's part of the reason we've gotten to where we are with some of these issues. And I just don't want to see us go down that same road. Mm -hmm. And if it means I have to, to make jokes about piloting contests, so be it. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You just have to also <laughs> realize that we, yeah. as a group, Moto America wants nothing more than to grow the professional road racing series in the United States. We like superbike racing. We like all of our classes. We like the way that it's working now. We like the fact that we have a junior cup that we can feed the other classes to. And the ultimate goal is for us to feed the world championship with American riders so that we can all sit back on a Sunday morning really early and watch MotoGP and have an American that we can root for. That's the goal. In order, if we, in order to continue, in order to try and obtain that goal, if we have to do some things on the side that might be fun, like this baggers thing to maybe get more people to come to our events so that we can continue to do what we really want to do, then that just might be the case. It's, it's very difficult to get people to come to live events. It just is. It's not like it used to be. Um, things have changed. Um, and, and if we have to do some things that are a little bit different and a little bit outside the box, to get people to come so that we can continue to do what we really want to do, which is race superbikes at the highest level so that we can build riders to go elsewhere so that we can have somebody to cheer for and that we can show that America aren't a bunch of pussies and don't know how to road race anymore, then so be it. Um, the, it there's also a thing where like, okay, I, you would know better than me. I, I, don't know, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the popularity of baggers as it relates to the, the motorcycle industry in the US. But I have a feeling they're popular. I have a feeling they're getting more popular. And it's probably works the same way for manufacturers as it does for us. They, they sometimes have to produce motorcycles that, 
you know, the, the, the guys making these motorcycles might be the diehard sport bike guys. And they're like, okay, you know, would I rather be building a sport bike? Sure, I would. Would I rather be building the greatest new R1 in the world? Sure. But you know what? In order to continue working on my R1 project, we need to start building some of these baggers so that people will buy them so that we can make some money and we can continue to strive forward with the bikes that we really want to build. Now, I'm, I might be speaking out of school and they may not believe that, but it's another, it's an, it's, 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 it's an, it also gives opportunities for manufacturers who are making these baggers to have them in our paddock so that people can walk by and look at them and potentially buy one, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. So there, there's a lot to it. And yeah. I think from the outside, it's easy to say, and again, I'm with you hundred percent because if I was in your position and I was in your position a while ago, I would be making the same fun of this thing. But sometimes if you just take a step back and realize and take it for what it is, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. Would people rather watch, um, baggers in a race or would they rather stare at empty racetrack for half an hour? I mean, it's, I, I, I just look at it as just another piece of producing a good show. So people come and watch. And if that's what it is, that's what it is. And, and I, Honestly, we're going to be adding some more things to the Laguna Seca program. Laguna Seca has been taken over by new people, as we all well know. Well know. Um, we've, they've lost World Superbike. We're trying to come into Laguna Seca and we're trying to build a motorcycle event that brings people into the area, that brings people to the racetrack. They have an enjoyable time and they come back the following year. And it's a transition year for Laguna Seca. And, and honestly, there's some pressure on us that we need to... We, we need to give them a good event for, for our sake and for their sake. And this is part of that. And there's some, going to be some other things that we're going to try there as well. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to add too, I mean, we, we're kind of over what we usually run in a podcast, but I did want to say one thing real quick. And it's that these bikes are actually going to be teched as well. I mean, they're going to have like belly pans to contain anything with, you know, just like our all of our bikes are in our series, there's safety things that are being put on these bikes or, you know, being done. So it's not just going to be, you know, pull a pull a bagger out of a showroom and run it around the track. They're, they're going to be prepped. So there's some thought behind that that fits into our whole Moto America mold. But um, I don't know. I just, um, you know, uh, wait and see, I guess, Jensen is kind of what I'm saying. You know, I, we know you'll be there. We hope you will. You, we all, I always see you at Laguna Seca, so we'll hope you'll be there this year, and we'll talk about it after we see it and see what you yeah, think Yeah, I mean, then, I, so. I go into it with, a, with an open mind. I mean, obviously, I have my opinions now, but uh, I like to think that I, I have a, I know, uh, the ability to change my, my thoughts afterwards. I just want to say something really quick that, you know, at the end of the day, brands are owned by their 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 consumers. Uh, brands aren't owned by the companies that that produce them. You know, Nike might own the copyright and the trademark to the the name Nike and the swoosh, but the Nike values are owned by everyone that's ever bought a Nike product. And it's the same with Moto America. And my hardest my hardest felt thing is that events like this bagger race are so far outside of what the values of the Moto America brand is as someone like myself holds it or someone like you, Paul, if you were or were outside of it or or any of the other listeners that are road racing fans, that it feels like a betrayal. And 
we've been through a lot with American motorcycle road racing. Um, and I don't know how many betrayals we can have where, where we still keep coming back and you say, you know, well, you know, it gets people to come through the gates and we don't want to see, uh, the fans disappear. Well, the fans have disappeared and that's my issue. And that's my worry is the fans have already said, you've betrayed me too many times. I'm not coming back. And, and, you know, any business person will tell you it's, it's three times harder acquiring a new customer than it is to keep an existing one. And we're in that stage now where we're having to acquire new customers to, to motorcycle racing. And it's just tough. Like I just, I just, I just, I just worry. My, my, my whole perspective is I want to see you succeed. I want to see this, this baggers race to be amazing and, and fun and have a good time. You know, I'll sit, I'll stand right next to you, Paul, and we can, we can compare notes, but um, I'm just worried of, of, what this is going to mean in the long run for, for Moto America as a brand, is it going to still be taken serious? Cause we were, we already have an issue of being taken seriously abroad. You know, there is that feeling in the foreign paddocks that America can't produce serious road racers. You know, there's a stigma now and we have to overcome that. And, and I think mm. it's a great challenge because I think absolutely we have the talent. Um, it's just a matter of, yeah, it's just a matter of putting them on the yeah, right bikes yeah. and in the right teams and supporting them in the right ways. And I think we can go out there, we can kick their butts. But we do have a stigma to that we have to overcome, and that, and I want to see us do that. And I'm not sure if things like this are are the right strategy. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I I I think we've come a long way, yeah, I, and I, I think, think you'll agree it. with that. I mean, when we when, absolutely when we took absolutely. this thing yeah. over, you know, you know, I you bury people at what six feet. I mean, this thing was dug four feet, so. You know, it was very close to uh, to right. road racing in this country, just getting the last shovel of dirt thrown on its face, and it and it would be over. So we we took it over at a point where it was very very low, and we've made significant gains every single year. And I know you can't argue that, and you won't argue that because you know it's true. But you know, we've made significant gains with with everything across the line. First of all, we we started with the racing, we got that back on track. Um, the classes, the rules, et cetera. And ever since then, we've been working on ticket sales and marketing and all the stuff that goes- The TV package. Yeah. The, back on the, TV, which is, t- which is a huge thing. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, there's, there's such a huge investment being made here. And really, it comes down to one guy, Richard Varner, who's made these investments, loves what he's doing, loves what we're doing. He's the most positive guy that we have honestly because he's and 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 he's the one spending the money i'm like how but he loves it and he can see where we're going he's a he's a he's a successful businessman so i i i leave that part of the business to him totally and we're getting there um and this is just something we're trying it's not again if it doesn't work it doesn't work and and we move on and we try stuff but it's it's really it's like we ha- sometimes have to start thinking out of the box a little bit to get to get our series to grow, and and that's what we're trying to do. And you know, again, some of the things we're going to try aren't going to work, and some of the things we try are going to work. We're just going to have to to play it out. Um, it's funny because we started this talking up about press releases, and and uh, and I just got a press release that Brock Tickle is going to ride for the JGRMX team. Um, and anybody who knows the backstory on that knows that Brock didn't pass a drug test for performance enhancing drugs. And he was out of the sport for two years. 
but the press release doesn't mention that. So there you have it. So if you're, yeah, so yeah. that blank needs to be filled in when, you, fill in when you tackle time. that today, okay, Jensen? <laughs> I don't know if that story will be on uh, Asphalt and Rubber, <laughs> but uh, if something like that. I think you should do a story uh, on press releases and it. use that as exhibit A. <laughs> you'll, you'll have it on his, you'll have it on his, and his brother or his sister uh, website, uh, <laughs> Dirt and Nobbies or whatever. <laughs> so, um, one other thing I want to say, and we can wrap this up, but uh, Jensen, I assure you, we are not going to have stripper poles, stripper poles, and we're probably we're not going to have clown cars. Although you should see the rental car I bring to every round; it's truly a clown car. Richie Doan, who was with Yoshimira, used to call it a one door hatchback because I usually try to get the smallest car I can find, and me in a small car doesn't look quite right. So there's already a clown car part of that, but I don't I don't put it in the show. So. Um, but hey, I think we've come to the end here. You want you want to wrap it up, Paul? And thank thank you, uh, Jensen, for being on. We really appreciate it. We had a great conversation. This is, I think, oh, our six, longest podcast minutes. we've you had guys today, are lightweight. So, you gotta yeah. you gotta step it up a little bit. Yeah, I have a feeling. Uh, no, thank thank you very much for having me. It's fun talking to you. No, guys. I, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, it's nice to talk to somebody that has um, similar values and beliefs as far as um, journalism and how it should be and how it not necessarily is anymore. So. Uh, congrats on your website and and keep up the good work and and I expect that uh, when we do something right you'll let people know and then we do something wrong you can make fun of us so have at it and uh, and keep up the good work and 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 we'll chat again soon and also thanks to all our listeners and I think today they got a little different perspective than than our normal show that usually features uh, a racer or somebody else from our Moto America paddock. We changed it up a little bit with Jensen and, and hopefully they enjoyed that. And, and it's something we can continue to do and bring in some different people from the industry and, and, and have uh, educated chats about it. So again, thanks guys for joining us and Sean, you have a good rest of your week. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks Paul. See you Jensen. Take care. Hey Sean, do you know what the next best thing to actually being in a Moto America race is? Yeah, of course. It's it's listening to me recite every model designation of Yamaha YZR500 that three-time World Grand Prix champion Wayne Rainey ever raced, including his 1993 OWE0. Is that it? Damn you, Bice. No, 100% not it. It's Moto America Live Plus. All you do is subscribe and you basically get to watch all on-track activity for the entire weekend in every class at every single one of our rounds. And if you subscribe now, it's only $54.99, but that offer doesn't stay on the table forever. So $54.99, you gotta do this, Sean. Of course, Paul, you know, you're right. You're always right. And you know, like always, Moto America Live Plus, it's the next best thing to being there. And we're there. <laughs>